المستعين الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين uh, Welcome to another episode of the Maradiya Show where we are meeting people where they are I am your host uh, Shadeed Muhammad So in today's um, episode of the Maradiya Show we're going to talk about trust issues um, I'm sure that many of us have them. Um, I'm sure many of us, uh, those of us who, who do have trust issues, um, I'm sure, pretty sure that many of us uh, are not necessarily aware of where it comes from, how we got them, you know, and um, how to get rid of them. So today, inshallah, Tada, we're going to talk about trust issues. Before I, uh, I move forward, I just want to make sure that you guys are clear about unrealistic expectations um periscope unfortunately i had to turn the 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 comments off um it got really toxic the last time so uh, i will not be turning the comments on until after after the uh, program is over with um and that is so i'm not distracted by you know hecklers and people who you know have something to prove uh by way of texting I really don't understand how you feel like you have the power. The power is in my hands. I control it. I could delete you at any time. But anyway, um, just making sure you guys were clear about unrealistic expectations. There were more uh, unrealistic expectations that I wanted to touch on. However, um, I don't want to belabor the the issue. I'm I'm sure that you guys got it. You know, you guys figured it out. Uh, for those of you who would like to chime in on the discussion, you can um, go to your Zoom. If you have the app Zoom, uh, then you can log on to Zoom using the code 624-674-3330. That's 624-674-3330. You can log on to the Zoom. Please make sure that your mic is muted. Um, please don't have me uh, remove you from the room because um, this is be being recorded. Okay, so let's talk about trust issues. All right, you hear people say this all the time. I, I have trust issues, right? I have trust issues, and sometimes we we kind of bask in that. Uh, we don't we don't work towards fixing it. We don't work towards reconciling it. We don't work in we don't work towards understanding it we don't work towards anything we just bask in the luxury of saying i have trust issues and and we laugh it off and and we think that that's funny we think that it is you know justifiable you know we you know and and we just kind of keep it moving we don't and we don't really realize how deep and how you know divisive and how self-destructive and self-sabotaging trust issues really are they really are self-sabotaging. You know what I mean? It's not, you know what I mean? It's not, uh, you know, oh, I got trust issues. You know, okay, but you have to understand how that plays out in your life with the people that, you know, are close to you, right? All right, so it's, it's very important, you know, it's very important for us to understand that, you know? It's not, you know, uh, oh, I have trust issues and, and that's that. All right. So let me let me explain to you what trust issues are. Trust first, let's understand what trust is. Because some of us we just 
you know, it's just jargon. It's just, you know, verbiage that we just pass on from one generation to the next, not really understanding what we are saying. Do you even know what trust is? Do you even know what that is for you to say, well, I have trust issues just because somebody betrayed you, just because somebody lied on you, just because somebody did something that you perceived, a perceived, you know, betrayal or infraction on you and who you are, you automatically assume that I have trust issues. Do you even know what trust is from the beginning? So let's, let's explore that first before we start saying I have trust issues, just regurgitating the verbiage or the jargon that was passed on to us, you know, especially women who have older siblings, older sisters, you know, and they pass on this language, you know, it becomes generational, you know, this generational jargon that we pass on from one generation to the next. Mothers pass it on to their daughters, you know, Brothers pass it on to their siblings. You know, it's like, I got trust issues. Do you even know what trust is, first and foremost? Trust is the belief that others will act and behave as you expect them to. Let me explain that. Trust is the belief. It is your belief. Here again, putting the focus on you. Trust is the belief that others will act and behave as you expect them to, right? So there is an expectation there. We talked in the last, you know, in the last podcast, we talked about expectations, you know, having expectations of people. And our expectations a lot of times are irrational. They're not rooted. They're not, there's no basis for it in logic. There's no basis for it in any, you know, anything that is, you know, researched. A lot of our expectations are illogical and irrational. And then we superimpose that on people, right? And I explain where our expectations come from, similar to where our trust issues come from. All right, here we are as adults just trying to make sense of every, some of us anyway, you know, I'm trying to, you know, help us begin that, that, that cycle of, you know, correction that, you know, some people talk about, you know, invest a lot of time and talking about thick issues and deep issues of the religion. And while I believe that that is important, I also think that we skip right over the basic human elements that make, that enhance our quality of living. I think we jump right over that. It's almost as if, you know, you can go to your local psychologist for that. You can go to your local psychiatrist for that. You know, Islam, we're just dealing with the hereafter. We're just dealing with your relationship with God. And it's like, no, Islam deals with all of that. And if you don't have the ability to connect those dots, don't dismiss that as a science. But when you, you go back and you look at the life of Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, as I'm going to give you examples, I always make a connection back to our religion. I don't want to take you so far from a clinical or a psychological perspective that I, you know, I make a, 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 a sever our ties from the religion. La wallahi. It's all interconnected. All of it. All right. So trust is the belief that others will act and behave as you expected, all right? And when the person doesn't do what you expected them to do, then you feel like you have been betrayed. You feel like you have been betrayed. The other person doesn't function with your expectations. They don't function according to your expectations. 
They don't. People don't function according to your expectations. So then when you run into this problem, it's like, oh, this person betrayed me. No, you had expectations that this person was going to engage you this way. And when they didn't, you felt betrayed. You know, trust issues stem from many places. It could be, you know, past traumatic relationships, whether, you know, platonic or whether, you know, uh, emotional, whatever. They stem from many places. We can't just identify one place as the source of where all your trust issues come from. They come from many places for many different people. But most certainly, most certainly, the common thread with all of our trust issues is that we were raised in environments that were mistrustful. Think about this for a second. If you were raised in an environment where it was mistrustful, what do I mean when I say an environment that was mistrustful? An environment that you as a kid did not feel safe in that environment. An environment where you saw betrayal. It could have been seeing your father cheat on your mother. It could have been your mother cheating on your father. You saw, you lived in an environment, you were raised in an environment where you saw mistrust. You saw trust being abused and misused. It could have been in an environment where you were molested. You were taken advantage of by someone you thought had your best interests at heart. It could have been a, a father. It could have been an uncle. It could have been a, a, a mother's friend. You don't know how many children have been molested, male children have been molested by the mom's best friend or aunts in the home. Because we're thinking that, you know, molestation is only going to come by way of a male figure in the home. No, nah, you have some sick women out there as well. And it's usually the people that, you know, are most close to the family because people would never expect them. Right? They would never expect it. They would never be expected. You know, so it's, it's very important for us to understand that, you know, if we were raised in environments where there was, we saw, mis, we saw trust being abused and misused. Maybe it was, you know, you know, you were touched or you were molested by a relative that you thought this, this person would never do this to you. You're coming out the bathroom and this, you know, relative, uncle, aunt, or whatever the case may be, friend of the family grabs you and touches you in a way that, you know, and from that point forward, you realize that I can't trust people. You understand? You guys following me. And this is real. We, we got to be honest with ourselves because we are destroying. We are sabotaging everything that Islam is offering us in terms of healthy interaction, healthy relationships. I'm looking around at the marriages and the children that are being born out of these situations. And I'm saying, how in the hell did we become so toxic? Every one of us saying that we are believers in Allah, believe in God, believe in his messengers. All of us are saying that we believe in Allah, his angels, his messengers, right? But we are so toxic. And I'm trying to figure out where the toxicity is coming from. 
in our relationships with one another, the backbiting, the slander, the gossip, all of it. And I'm trying to figure out where in the world is this stuff coming from? We are supposed to be Muslims. Where is this stuff coming from? So I'm trying to sift through all of the symptoms and get to the root of the problem. And those of us who are, you know, sticklers for honest conversation, for real talk, you know, you, you, we, we can begin working on ourselves. Those of you who still like to live in the oblivion of your Islamic knowledge, these high levels of Islamic knowledge, you can, you can, you know, ignorance is bliss. You can continue on talking about this thick issue, that thick issue, but why are you sitting around talking about who's astray, who's on it, who's off it, what medheb you follow, what, you know, what scholar you follow, and what knowledge, who you take your knowledge from. Meanwhile, your entire family unit is in shambles. Your entire family unit is in shambles. Your children are confused. Born and raised Muslim, you call their then in their ear, you slaughtered an animal for them, and yet and still they're confused. Spousal relationships between husband and wife is almost like you guys were natural born enemies. It's hard to believe that you made a proposal to her father for her hand in marriage, and you guys have reached a point in your marriage where you are arch enemies. It's, it's like, where is this, where is it coming from? <laughs> So I want to get to the root of it. So a lot of our trust issues stem from um, many places, but most certainly from those of uh, those of us who were raised in environments where mistrust where mistrust was the norm. We were either touched or molested by someone that we trusted would have our best interests at heart. We've seen betrayal. We've seen a mother betray the father. You know, when the mom is on the phone with the dad saying, you know, she's doing this, she's doing that, the children are right there watching as you're lying to the other, the, the spouse. The children are watching. The, you know, many times I, I know for my own self, like I was beat, you know what I mean? I was beat by my foster parents. Right. And then, you know, a DIFUS worker, you know, the Department of Family Youth Services would come over and visit. And, you know, she would put, you know, Vaseline on my arms and, you know, cover up the spots where you beat me at so that, you know, what I mean, and here I am as a child processing all of this. You just whoop me with a belt. I got scars all over my body. And then you're dressing me and, you know, putting, you know, acting as if you care, which you really don't care what you're concerned is. I don't go to jail. Or I don't, you know, my checks stop coming in. You understand? And as a child, you're watching this. You're seeing trust being misused. And for many of us in our lives, you know, trust, our trust issues might stem from one or two people in our lives. Guaranteed. One or two people in your life betrayed you, abused your trust. However, the mind naturally generalizes lessons that are learned. So we go through life generalizing. You know, meanwhile, your trust issues go back to one or two people in your life. Guaranteed. Wallahi, guaranteed. It wasn't every person that came, you came across in your life that triggered your trust issues. Your trust issues go back to one or two people in your life. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. It is not as, as, as exacerbated as we make it seem. 
We're making it seem like I got trust issues with everybody. Everybody you came across in your life betrayed you? No. It was one or two people in your life that betrayed you, that misused your trust, but the mind naturally generalizes. It generalizes lessons that are learned. Trust issues are not necessarily a bad thing, all right? Don't let me demonize trust issues. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be bad if you are not cognizant of the depths of your trust issues and how it affects your relationships with other people. You understand? It can be self-sabotaging, self-depriving. It, you know, it can, it can be, you know, self-destructive. But you have to know how deep your trust issues go, where they stem from, and begin making a conscious effort. I'm going to give you, hopefully we'll have time at the end of this to, to talk about ways in which we can deal with our trust issues. All right? But trust issues are a defense mechanism to help avoid the risk of possible disappointment. Whatever disappointment and hurt you have gone through in your life, you want to make sure that I never feel like that again. I don't ever want to feel like that again. The, the trust, the betrayal was so traumatizing. I don't ever want to feel like that again. So what you do is you have trust. You, 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 are, you don't trust people easily as a defense mechanism to avoid the risk of being disappointed again. So let me let me share with you um, how trust issues work. Um, as it relates to trust, people fall into one of two categories. As it relates to trust, people usually fall into one of two categories. Either A, you are those who give 100% of your trust to everybody that you come in contact with and you allow their behavior to dictate where they end up on the scale of trust. This is, this is a person who has a healthy relationship with trust to some degree. There's some naivete there as well, but for the most part, this person is free with their trust. They give 100% trust to other people and then allow the other person to decide where they end up on the scale of trust. This is a person who has had a healthy interaction because they give it, you know, without it being dragged out of you, right? You, you give, you, you, you allow the person, you start them at 100. <laughs> I'm gonna start you at 100. <laughs> when I come in contact with you, I'm gonna start you at 100, that I trust you. I believe everything you say. I trust everything that you're doing. I, I trust that you're gonna, you know, respect me and my expectations. And then I'll let you work yourself down. You lied to me. You didn't come through on this. You, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you betrayed me on that. You, you did, and then you, work, you allow the person to work themselves down until you find that balance. So I'm going to put you at 50. You know what I mean? You've lied to me on so many occasions that when you talk to me now, I already got to filter what you're saying. 50%, I've already taken away that what you're saying to me is full of crap. 50%. There's a 50-50 chance that what you are saying to me is BS. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? 
And there's people like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a the moment you open your mouth, there's a 50-50 chance that what you're saying to me is a complete lie, right? But there, there's history there. It's not that you're doing this to everybody you come in contact with. There's a history there with you and that person. You understand? The danger is when you do that to everybody you come in contact with. And I'm going to get to that. That is when it becomes dangerous. That everybody you meet, automatically, 50% of what, you, what they say or what they do or how they interact with you is you know, going to end up being you know, damaging or disappointing or traumatizing to you. That is unhealthy. That is unhealthy. I'm talking about someone you have a history with. And they have shown and they have proven to you over time that they, you know, you got to filter everything that they say because they've lied to you on many occasions. You know, they've, you know, not come through. They've not come through on their word on many occasions. So, you know, 50% of what they say, you know, you got to filter it. All right. That's the first category. Number one, people who give 100% of their trust to people when they come in contact with them. Um, and they allow the person's actions to dictate where they fall on the scale of trust. The second category, which is very unhealthy, very toxic at times, and that is those who give 0% of trust to other people and make people prove themselves that they are actually trustworthy. The danger with this person that you give people 0%. You don't trust anybody. You don't trust anybody. And understand something. You don't have to trust everybody. But there should be at least a few people in your life that you trust. At least a few people. You don't have to trust everybody. That is not a given. But you give 0% of your trust to everybody you come in contact with. And you make them prove themselves that they are worthy of your trust. Why is this dangerous? Because you don't even, it's like a bank. Like you don't have credit, so I'm not going to give you any credit. <laughs> it's like, so when do I ever get out of this hole that I'm in, right? <laughs> it's a double-edged sword. I don't have a rapport with you to have trust. You're not going to give me any trust. And I got to work extra hard to prove to you that I am worthy of your trust. And the, the danger with this person is that the more and more you build trust with them, all it takes is for one incident to put you right back down to zero. That's the danger with this person because they're already untrusting. They're already untrusting. So all it takes is for one incident of perceived betrayal and they'll bring you right back down to zero. And sometimes this happens even in marriages. I'm gonna get into how this plays out in our marriages. We bring past trauma, we allow past trauma to affect future decisions that also affect us in our present. So you have a wife who has been cheated on before and she goes into a, another marriage without even working out her trust issues. And men, we do it too. Men, we have trust issues too. Wallah, loving. This is not a you know, feminine issue. So that we, you know, genderize it. It is a human issue. But men, we go into relationships with trust issues as well. 
But let me give you an example. So a woman, she was cheated on before. She goes into a relationship with a man and every you know, time she sees him on his phone, she's perceiving that he's in you know, conversation with a woman. And she's using past trauma, right, to identify, you know, she's identifying present behavior with past trauma. You, you guys following me? You're identifying current behavior, present behavior with past trauma. And you're going to scar this person because the person has not given you any signs that they are worthy of your mistrust. But they, they haven't given you anything. But what you are basing it on, it's a bias. It's a bias. Absolutely. It's a bias. Uh, and even worse than that, a cognitive bias, because if you look for something long and hard enough, you'll find it. If you look for something hard enough, you'll find it. If you keep saying, I know he's cheating, I know he's cheating, guess what? You're going to find that he's cheating. Not that he's really cheating, but your perception now becomes reality. Right. Trauma-informed practices. Thank you. Right. TIP. Your perception now becomes your reality. If you look for something hard enough, long enough, you'll find what you're looking for. So understand these are the two types of people as it relates to trust. Um, our job as Muslims is to always find a balance between the two. I don't have to give a person 100% of the trust upon meeting them. There is some level of trust there that I control, right? And that's another thing with trust issues. We, don't, we, don't, we lack confidence. So we don't put ourselves in situations where we feel like we are in control. So we totally remove ourselves from situations altogether that require trust because we don't trust ourselves. We lack confidence. When you are confident about your trust, you, you feel like you're in control. I can give this person a little bit, give him just a little bit, not enough to hurt me. Enough where if he disappoints me or she disappoints me, I can handle it. I can learn a lesson from it. And then I know where to put the person. You understand? You are in control. You have that confidence. But when you lack confidence, you totally remove yourself from situations altogether, which creates loneliness, which creates anxiety, which creates all types of other mental health issues. People who have trust issues are lonely as hell. And, and I'll get to that. So um, I'm hoping you guys are, are you know, are, are still with me, following along. Um, so my next point is, um, my next point is that some of the things, some of the characteristics of a person who has trust issues. I want you guys to pay attention because as I was researching this stuff, man, I'm, I'm even looking at myself, you know, um, we have a lot of this stuff. One of the things, one of the main characteristics of a person who has trust issues is hypervigilance. You become hypervigilant. You're always on guard for a person to disappoint you, for a person to hurt you. And hypervigilance translates when we're talking about, you know, uh, interpersonal relationships, which is what my next course is going to be. My next course, which will be starting in September, inshallah, will be um, the anatomy of love. 
all right, exploring, you know, interpersonal relationships in the Quran and in the Sunnah. It'll be a 10-week course, inshallah ta'ala. I will keep you guys posted on, um, you know, the, when that, um, that course is going to start. But I, I've been spending most of my summer researching and putting this course together, inshallah. Um, and I will put the flyer out for the course within the next week or so, inshallah. All right. But we will be talking about the anatomy of love, exploring interpersonal relationships in the Quran and in the Sunnah. There are, if you look in the Quran and the Sunnah, you can find tons of interpersonal relationships between father and son, between son and daughter, between father and you know daughter, between you know so many different husband and wife. You can find so many different relationships, and we're going to explore those in much detail, inshallah ta'ala. All right. So hypervigilance. Hypervigilance, where you are always on guard, waiting for someone to um, disappoint you, you know, trying to, you know, protect, becoming overprotective of yourself so that someone doesn't hurt you or disappoint you. However, hypervigilance translates, when we talk about interpersonal relationships, hypervigilance translates into self-sabotaging behavior. How? Because when you are hypervigilant, right? You end up seeing things that are not actually there, connecting dots that don't actually exist due to your hypervigilance. And you sabotage a relationship before it even had the opportunity to grow. Has anyone been guilty of that before? I know I have. You sabotage a relationship before you even gave it an opportunity to, to grow and to develop. Because of your hypervigilance. And, you know, those of us who grew up in inner city neighborhoods, um, no, without a doubt, we are hypervigilant, without a doubt. If you grew up in the projects, if you grew up in the hood, you grew up in urban, you know, inner city neighborhoods, you naturally have a hypervigilance with you. It's just natural. You're hearing gunshots, you're hearing people, you're seeing people die, you're, you know, you're, you're exposed to an environment that you don't trust. You, you see how that works? You are exposed to an environment that you don't trust. So if you grew up in the projects, you grew up in, you know, the inner city, you know, I mean, like you grew up in housing developments, housing projects, you naturally are hypervigilant. And if you did not take time out to be able to identify the hypervigilance and how it has, you know, you know, affected your relationships throughout your life. You go right into your marriage with that, believing I'm good. I'm on the Quran. I'm on the Sunnah. You see how we use Quran and Sunnah to just totally bypass, totally overlook, you know, the deeper issues that lie within us. We say, I'm on the Quran and the Sunnah. I pray five times a day. I wear hijab. I have a beard. You know, I go to my local masjid and that makes you okay. Meanwhile, underneath all of those pretty, you know, roses and lilies and all of that, underneath that is a, is a bunch of, you know, hard rubble, dirt. It's not fertilized soil. You know what I mean? Allah says in the Quran, وَالْبَلَدُ طَيِّبُ يَخْرُجُ نَبَاتُهُ بِإِذْنِ رَبِّ And the, the fertile soil produces, produces, you know, its fruits, its produce, its vegetables, you know, by the permission of his Lord. وَالَّذِي نَكَدَ وَالَّذِي خَبُثَ لَا يَخْرُجُ إِلَّا نَكِدَ And that 
soil which is not fertile, it's not healthy, it only produces sparsely, it only, just a little bit. So we got to look at the soil. Stop looking at, you know, on the surface, I'm good. I'm on the Quran, I'm on the Sunnah, I'm a practicing Muslim. A practicing Muslim just means that you have devoted yourself to the religious component, the, you know, the you know, the, the rituals of the religion, that's all that means, that you're a practicing Muslim. That's all that means. That's all that means is that you have now accustomed yourself to the rituals of the religion by which we can identify you as a Muslim. But then there's deeper levels of the religion. There's al-mu'min, there's muhsin, is Ihsan, if you go back to the Hadith of Jibreel, didn't Jibreel outline three levels of the religion? It's not just that I'm a practicing Muslim. Okay, whoop-dee, you, you got the rituals of the religion down pat, got you. You pray five times a day, you fast the month of Ramadan, you've accustomed yourself to wearing hijab, you know, you, you, you know what I mean? Like, you, you got the rituals of the religion down. That's what it means to be religious. But then there are deeper, deeper levels of a spiritual experience that Islam offers that most of us don't actually, you know, dig deep enough to get down to those levels or to rise up to those levels. We, we don't give ourselves enough, you know, we don't push ourselves enough. All right. So hypervigilance, it becomes self-sabotaging behavior. In addition to hypervigilance with trust issues, there's a heightened sense of sensitivity. People who have trust issues are hypersensitive. Hypersensitive, right? About apparent breaches of, uh, of betrayal, even when they actually don't exist. Person can do one thing and you're automatically, I'm cutting them off because, you know, they're going to betray me or they betrayed me. It's just like, it's just a minor infraction. We're human. Like, I mean, like, why can't you leave room for human error. <laughs> Anyone who has a friendship, a husband and wife relationship, as we talked about in you know, unrealistic expectations, that people are people. People are gonna hurt you. <laughs> people are gonna disappoint you. The, didn't the Prophet Sallallahu say in an authentic hadith, المؤمن الذي يخالط الناس ويصبر على أذاهم خير من المؤمن الذي لا يخالط الناس ولا يصبر على أذاهم the Prophet ﷺ, didn't he say that the believer, listen to his wording, he didn't say the Muslim, he said the believer, because there's a deeper level of spirituality that this behavior requires. It's a deeper level of spirituality that this particular behavior requires. The Prophet ﷺ said the believer who mixes with people and is patient with the harm that he receives from those people is better and more beloved to Allah than the believer who does not mix with the people and is not patient with the harm that he receives from those people. Why would the Prophet Sallallahu say mix with the people and is patient with the harm that he received? Because when you mix with people, people are going to disappoint you. What part of that don't we understand? That's part of our religion. That's stated right here in this hadith. The, the mu'min, the believer who mixes with people and is patient with the harm that he receives from people. We come from different walks of life, different ethnicities, different cultures, sometimes within the same culture. 
even as African Americans, from the same culture. New Jersey, New York, completely different. Obviously, the water, the Hudson separates us. We're two different, you know, two different people. People from up north, different from people that are from down south. Southern hospitality is a given, you know, northern, we don't have necessarily that type of hospitality. So even within the same culture, right, there are different, you know, modes and, you know, of behavior of, you know, different levels of, you know, human interaction, all right? But intermingling with people, there is obviously going to be some disappointment there. If you are friends with people and you think, especially for millennials, you younger generation of, you know, American citizens, <laughs> you guys, you have this notion, this false belief that everyone in your circle, everyone in your, you know, immediate circle has to agree with everything that you say, has to be on par with every decision that you make. And the moment someone takes a different approach, you automatically are in your feelings. That person automatically becomes an enemy to you, unsupportive of you. Why do I have to agree with every decision you make in order for me to be supportive of you? I could say something or do something and someone could disagree with me and I can still consider them a part of my support group. I can still consider them a friend, even though they don't necessarily agree with everything that I said. I am amazed in the Muslim community of how, you know, the Prophet ﷺ, the Sahaba didn't agree with every decision that he made. They still loved him and would still have died for him. Many did. And they didn't always agree with everything that he did because they couldn't understand everything that he was doing. He was working from a place of higher authority while they're just working with their basic human logic and common sense, which is why we say Samirna wa We hear and we obey even when we don't understand. <laughs> even when we don't understand, we still obey. Even when we don't agree, we still obey. We still adhere. We don't separate ourselves from, you know, Muslim leadership, Islamic leadership on the premise that I don't agree with his position, right? When Uthman, uh, when he traveled, he was one of the few companions. When he traveled, he did not pray the traveling prayer. He would not shorten his prayer. Aisha used to do it. Abu Hurairah used to do it. Many of the Sahaba, when they traveled, they would not shorten Dhuhr and Asr and Isha. They would still pray for Raka'ah. And so when Uthman went to make um, Umrah, he did not, you know, shorten his prayer as the, when he went to make Hajj on Mina, the Prophet ﷺ would shorten and combine uh, Dhuhr and Asr on Mina. And when Uthman got there, he did not shorten Dhuhr and Asr, nor did he combine them. He prayed them each at their time. So one of the Sahaba went to Ibn Mas'ud and say, um, Uthman did not do what the Prophet ﷺ did. Why don't you go refute Uthman? Uthman is the Khalifa, the leader of the Muslims. They go to, they go to Abdullah ibn Mas'ud trying to put a battery in his back. Go correct Uthman. He's not following the Sunnah. The Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is to shorten and combine Dhuhr and Asr on Mina. 
And Abdullah ibn Mas'ud he said, no, I'm not going to go correct him. They said, why? He said, in the khilaf shar. He said, because differing is evil. It's evil. It's divisive. It's divisive. I'm not going to do it. And here we are, you know, today, you know, you know I, I got a couple of messages and emails yesterday about, you know, some um, podcast that Yasser Qadi was in, you know, that was a part of the other day. And, um, you know, this, this brother, student analogy, you know, he went and did a podcast, I guess, in refutation of Yasser Qadi. So after listening to the podcast for about five minutes, I'm just like, turn this off. I said, let me go listen to the, you know, Yasser statement myself. And I went and I listened to the entire clip, which was like maybe 48 minutes, an hour. And I'm just like, what did he say that was so wrong? I don't, I don't get it. And why do we now have to launch podcasts using this platform, which could be used for so many other things? and refute somebody like Yasser Qadda. I mean, like, Islamic scholarship in America is very few. I mean, like, we can count how many people who are, like, qualified scholars that, you know, are actually from America and that are actually out there because there are people who are scholars who are not in the limelight, who are not on the forefront, you know what I mean? Like, but we can count how many people who are out there doing the work and Yasser Qadi is one of those people out there doing the work. You don't necessarily have to agree with everything that he says, but that's human. I listened to the entire podcast and I'm just like, what did he say that was so warranting of you doing a podcast to refute what he said? And then all of the accusations about him believing that he's a scholar on this level and that level, like that's your own personal insecurity. That's it. For you to open up a podcast, with all due respect to the student and knowledge who did that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that right is right and wrong is wrong. You're dead wrong for that. And I'm, I'm just going to say that. Brother Sajid, you're wrong for that. You're wrong. I'm just telling you flat out. You're using your platform, a platform that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed you with, that you could be doing so much more as a Caucasian convert. As I said this before, as a Caucasian convert, why not use your platform to address white supremacy? Why not use your platform to address, you know, police brutality of people of color? Why not use your platform? Why is it that Caucasian converts come to Islam and uh, attack other people to build your platform or to attack, you know, issues that are, you know, really mundane or, or issues that people from other cultures can deal with those issues themselves. We deal with the nation of Islam. You don't convert to Islam and now all of a sudden become a refuter of the Aqidah of the nation of Islam. That's our responsibility. That's our backyard. You understand? You don't, you don't do that. You go in your own backyard, go deal with white supremacy, go deal with the banking system and how they marginalize people of color intentionally. You understand what I'm saying? Like, use your podcast for that. <laughs> use your podcast to address real issues. You use your podcast and you open up talking about Yasser Kaldi thinks that he's a scholar and as a convert, you know, I'm, I'm you know, afraid that he's going to lead so many people astray. First of all, the people that Yasser Kaldi speaks to, his constituency, the people that he addresses, the people that listen to him, I'm sure are people of like, not average, run-of-the-mill, you know, blind-following sheeple. You understand? 
I know that enough to know, like the, the average, you know, African-American does not listen to, you know, I mean, the new convert to Islam is not listening to Yasser Qadhi. He speaks to people on a higher academic level. And I'm sure the people that he addressed and the people that he speak to can think for themselves. They're not sheeple, they're not followers. You understand what I'm saying? Like he's a professor, you know what I mean? I mean, he has so many, and this is not in defense of Yasser Qadhi, this is in defense of the truth. This is in defense of the truth. I mean, like, I mean, I understand like how we only have few scholars here in America and every time we turn around, you're attacking. And even if you were going to refute, you know, some of the comments that he made, stick to the issue, keep it academic. You don't have to attack him as a person. You don't have to belittle his status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. If he has any status, it's a status that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him. He didn't earn that on his own. He said that clearly in his podcast. It's, he said that clearly. I never went to the University of Medina thinking that I was going to become Yasser Qadhi. He said that clearly. And, and the same goes for any student of knowledge who has managed to create a platform and, you know, love and the love that was placed into the hearts of the people for them, that is not by our doing. That is by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you're going to come and you're going to refute him to try to destroy that? Like, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that, man. I don't agree with that. It's, it's wrong on every level. And I'm going to use my platform to stand out for what is correct. I have criticized Yasser Qadhi, not necessarily Yasser Qadhi per se, but Al-Maghrib Institute for issues that I felt like, you know, were warranted. But never to tear down somebody's honor, never to destroy, you know, somebody's reputation in the eyes of the people. That comes from a, that come from a real place of insecurity, man. And, and, and it's, it's, it's wrong on all levels, man. And, I, and as long as I have a platform, I'm always going to say something about it, man. I was going to do something specific just particularly on that, but a shade but shade youth carter, since we were on the topic, I just felt like, you know, this was the correct time to plug that in. But, you know I mean, like, it's, it's wrong, man. You can disagree with someone and you don't necessarily have to destroy his honor. And Yasa didn't say anything that was warranted, you know, that warrant that warranted, you know, a whole podcast being, you know, being put together in refutation of something that he said. He said that, you know, some of the scholars in Saudi Arabia were telling him to do his PhD in Medina. And one scholar said that you should go abroad and study in, you know, Western universities and come back and understand their shubal hat, which is exactly what you should do. You should do. Understand the master's and PhD levels in the Medina University are pretty much the same. You spend three years doing research to produce a bath, to produce a bath al-ilmi, you know, an academic research, which you will turn into a book later on. You know what I mean? Like, who, who needs that? After the master's degree program in Medina, you don't necessarily need to do a PhD in Medina. It's the same thing that you're doing in the, in the, in the graduate program. It's the same exact thing. It's just giving you an extended life in Medina. Why wouldn't you want to do your PhD in a Western university, something as a, a university as prestigious as Yale, to understand the Shubal Hat, to understand the doubts and misconceptions of the people, you know, that they hold about Islam, so that you can use the Islamic foundation that you got from the Islamic university, coupled with 
you know, the, the, you know, the secular understanding of Islam from a secular university to be able to make you more effective in refuting the issue. Well, I, I don't understand why that's not common sense. I, I don't understand why that, that, that required so much, you know, much, so much thought. That's a no brainer. Anyway, moving right along. I, I just wanted to kind of plug that in there. And I, I'm sure um, you know, one of his minions will go back and tell him, I said, it's public. I, I'm not going to take the video down. The, the video is public. I said what I said. <laughs> I said what I said. At any way, at any rate, um, hypersensitivity, you know, people who have trust issues, um, they have hypersensitivity about apparent breaches, uh, even when these breaches uh, don't exist. With trust issues, we've learned to replace trust with fear. We've learned to replace trust with fear. So much so that we predict a betrayal even before it happens. We predict a betrayal even before it happens. The last thing, or two more things, self-deprivation. People who have trust issues, they deprive themselves of human interaction out of fear. All of their relationships are superficial. They don't allow people to get close enough to them to hurt them. So they keep everyone at a distance. All relationships are very surface and superficial. And you deprive yourself of, you know, love and all and trust and all of the elements that make human interaction, you know, what it should be. So there's a degree of self-deprivation in having trust issues because you deprive yourself of having healthy, heartful, meaningful relationships. You simply can't do it. Every person that you have a relationship with is very superficial, very surface, because you don't want people to hurt you. So you keep them at a distance. And this is sometimes even in husband and wife relationship, even in marriages. You have trust issues. You wonder why you can't get close to your spouse. You wonder why you can't just get in there, why they won't just let you in. Why do you feel like you guys are still friends in the courting period after you've been married for five years, 10 years, 15 years? You still feel like your spouse is a complete stranger. It might not be your spouse. It might be you. In order for you to gain entry, you got to allow entry. You, you understand? That's the way human beings work. In order for you to gain entry into someone's life, you got to make yourself open for entry for the person to come into your life. Trust is reciprocal. It's not a one-way street. Oh, you should open yourself up and let me in. Meanwhile, you're stonewalling me. I, I, can't, gain, I can't gain access because you're stonewalling me. Very stoic, you know, very, you know, superficial, but yet you want access to deeper levels of, you know, of, of my intimacy. It doesn't work like that. All right. So there's self-deprivation along with having trust issues. We deprive ourselves of human interaction out of fear. All of our relationships are superficial. And the last thing, um, well, the second to the last, I did this one already, lack of self-confidence. We don't have confidence when we have trust issues, meaning we don't put ourselves in a situation where we feel that we are in control of our trust and we give the trust just enough to the person to develop a relationship. We just 
remove ourselves from relationships altogether. So there's a lack of confidence. And then lastly, um, some people just simply don't know how to use trust. <laughs> some people have trust issues, not because people have betrayed you, but because you have put yourself in positions to be betrayed. You trusted people that you shouldn't have trusted from the door. You trusted people that you shouldn't have trusted to begin with. <laughs> Think about that. You ever see somebody say, oh, I don't trust this person. I don't, but this person is this, and this person betrayed me, or this person is that. And it's like, well, everybody knows that you shouldn't have trusted this person anyway. It's like, you know, you're... You, you know what I'm saying? Like, so we trust people that we shouldn't. We allow our um, uh, emotions to become self-fulfilling prophecies. Your emotion has now become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You knew this person was going to betray you, but you trusted them anyway. Why? Because you wanted to confirm within yourself just how untrustworthy other people are. Someone said uh, they try to establish control by putting themselves in familiar situations of distrust. Yes, that's another thing. You think you you self-delusionally put yourself in a situation where you think that you you know there's some distrust there, but you're gonna put yourself there because you think that you can control it. And then when it gets out of hand, and you're wondering why, you know, and then sometimes it's just a cognitive bias. You know this person is going to betray you, so you trust them anyway, just so you can say at the end of it, see, that's why I don't trust people. But you knew the person was untrustworthy. You knew the person was untrustworthy, but you trusted them anyway, just so you could say or you could confirm within yourself that, see, this is why I don't trust people. It's like, yeah, but you probably shouldn't have trusted that person. Nobody trusts that person. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Nobody trusts that person. You probably shouldn't have trusted them anyway. But you did that knowingly, knowing that the person was going to abuse your trust just so you could confirm your bias. Just so you could say, see, that's why I don't trust people. Yeah, but people, all people are not, Mr. You know, uh, all people are not untrustworthy. All people are not untrustworthy. That person is, and everybody knows it. But you trusted this person just so they could burn you, so you could say at the end of it, that's why I don't trust people. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So this is what I wanted to present on the issue of trust issues. If, if I said something that tapped deeply within you, then hopefully that begins to spark a journey, a conversation, an honest conversation that you need to have with yourself as to why you are so you know, untrusting of people. And inshallah ta'ala on Monday, when we come back for our next episode, I will talk about 10 ways to help begin restoring trust in your life, it, it would be it would be you know asinine for me to just deal with that and then not be solution oriented. So Monday, inshallah ta'ala, when we have our next episode of the Madhudiya show, we will talk about ten ways to restore trust back into yourself and back into your relationships. All right. I don't I don't know if there were any questions, inshallah ta'ala, but we'll stop here. Wassalamu alaikum, Muhammad. وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا 
Do not ask questions that are related to restoring trust. I promise you, Monday we will deal with all of that. And as I said before, you don't need to trust everybody, but maybe a few people in your life that you trust. The Prophet said a good companion is like the white hair on the on the back of a black cow. It's, it's very rare. It's very rare. You know, you, you're not going to find a plethora of people out there that you can trust. All you need is maybe two or three people in your life that you actually can trust, that you can be vulnerable with, and they're not going to use your vulnerability against you. They're not going to use your vulnerability to define you. You understand? So this is what I wanted to present. You guys have been great. Jazakum Allah khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.